On this episode, we speak to Stacey M. de Armas, an inclusion and identity researcher, consumer behaviorist, and subject matter expert on diverse communities with Nielsen. Stacy and I talk about Latinx representation in media. Stacy is Senior Vice President with Inclusive Insights and Initiatives and a leader within Nielsen's diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast. Hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show! Welcome to another episode of Tamarindo! What's up, y'all? Hey, Anna Sheila. So uh, for this episode, I thought it'd be fun to first talk about some of our favorite Latinx shows, movies, characters. So I'd like to ask you, which is one of your favorite Latinx shows or movies or characters? So recently, I really enjoyed Gentified and Vida. So uh, Vida is about two young uh, Mexican-American women who come back to L.A. after their, the passing of their estranged mother. And it's all about them, like, building um, this bar up and their experience kind of sort of, like, gentrifying in a way. I don't know. It, it's, it's a really fun show. There's a lot of Latinx queer representation. Um, it was written by a mostly queer, mostly female writing staff, which is, like, unheard of. So just very, it was very refreshing as, as a queer woman to to watch that. So I really enjoyed that. Excellent. Yes. Love that show. Love Tanya Saracho. We actually mentioned her a little bit in this episode. So <laughs> what about you, Brenda? What's your one of a favorite Latinx show, movie or character? Well, I decided to dig way, way back in the, okay. the movie that I'm going to reference is a 1995 film called A Walk in the Clouds, which is actually starting Keanu Reeves. But I, I love this movie. It's a rom-com. Um, oh, I guess it's not a rom-com. It's just, it's just a romance. There's no comedy, really. But this story, if you all remember, back in 1995, Keanu Reeves is returning from World War II. His wife sucks. And he runs into this beautiful Mexican-American woman who's in crisis because she's gone and gotten pregnant <laughs> by one of her professors. And it's this story where he steps in to make sure that like he, she can go back to her family and say, yes, this is my husband. And they have this plan that he's going to abandon her. But of course he falls in love with her. Right? <laughs> and I really love this story for many reasons. One is because I, and I just looked this up that it, the, the director is actually Mexican. <laughs> I really like in this movie, how the dad in the, in this uh, particular story, he has this wonderful quote that I love. And he's, his quote is just because I speak with an accent doesn't mean I think with one. I love that line. I remember my parents really liking that line. So that's, a, that's what comes to mind, which is so sad that I had to dig all the way back to 1995 in, uh, in being able to think of a story that I absolutely loved. In, I mean, of course, what you mentioned is perfect, too, in recent history, but that's just one that comes to mind for me today. That's funny because I was literally looking up a list of Latinx movies two days ago, and that came up on the list oh, oh, of good. one of the movies. Great, great, great. Yeah. I do love that story. <laughs> yeah. A Walk in the Clouds, y'all. Go go watch it. <laughs> Pero speaking of Latinx representation in media, who do we have on the show today, Brenda? 
Yes, today we've partnered with Nielsen, a global research firm that fuels the media industry with the most accurate understanding of what people listen to and watch. To help us learn a little bit more about what Latinx community is consuming, what the Latinx community is consuming in terms of media, and how we're represented. So we're going to chat with our friend who's been on the show a couple of times. It's always such a treat to have her on. We're going to speak to Stacey M. De Armas, who specializes in data at the intersection of community, advocacy, and entertainment. Stacy is Senior Vice President with Inclusive Insights and Initiatives and a leader within Nielsen's diversity, equity, and inclusion practice. Plus, she's just an overall badass. She's a kick-ass mom. She is an advocate for the people of Cuba, and she's just a delight. So it was really fantastic to have her on. That's awesome. And I'm a data nerd, so I'm excited about this. And I love when we can use data to, to have an impact, no? So I can't wait to hear this conversation with, with Stacy. So excited to have you back, Stacy! It's always so much fun when you're here because we always learn so much. Oh, we I'm learn so happy so to be much. here. <laughs> and also, they're very popular episodes, I got to say. So, aquí con la famosa Stacy. Wow. So, <laughs> Stacey, um, tell us a little bit about the state of Latinos. I mean, we, we, we always hear like Latinos are not a monolith, like that word trends after the election, for example, mm -hmm. earlier this year. But, you know, tell us what, remind us, what are those things that people get wrong when they think of Latinos? as a group. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because we've always approached this like, you know, the Hispanic community, right? The Latino community, brands, advertisers, even content. We've all come forward and just said, we need to see more Latinos in content. We need better representation in stories. But of course, as America has evolved, as we have evolved, as we've all learned so much more, we recognize what we've always known, which is that our community is much more uh, it's it's much more unique. There are so many more, you know, so many stories. We are an amalgamation of 30 different countries and cultures, and um, there's a lot to be uncovered. But I think what is really interesting, and even where brands and marketers are coming to Nielsen more, is to better understand the intricacies of those cultures. Like you said, immediately after the election, some of the first things I think that um, we all recognized, we, we knew, but we certainly recognized it was you know very clear that there was this real divide and sort of a fracture in the Latino community around um, the election and, and, and around, you know, political preferences. We also came to understand better what we already knew, which was that a lot of that is driven from our countries of origin, right? I mean, not unlike what, what we've seen unfold just in the last month or so around Cuba, and um, and even the opinions within the Latino community and outside of it around, you know, dividing and polarizing this this topic that's become sort of polarized around around Cuba, around um, socialism, around around, you know, freedoms and and um, and liberation. And it's it's it, the more we understand about the intricacies and not just understand, but speak about them. I feel like that's the thing that's been missing. Yeah. Like talking about the nuances, the differences there's so then there's, and there are one, one of the things that I like, and this is how you and I met Stacey is going to these like sort of pan Latino events. And there's a lot of reasons to celebrate um, the things that do connect us. But I think you, you really touched on an important point that it's also as important to dive into the things that make us unique. You talked about 30 different countries, although, you know, there's so much history behind there. 
And another recent moment in history that, um, it, I guess the history is not the right word, another recent moment in our pastime this year that kind of sparked another conversation about uh, Latinos and media is the highly anticipated film In the Heights, which for me, at least I can speak for myself. I was so excited and, sell, and like, wow, look at this story. And I was in awe watching the whole time. But then shortly after seeing how... Um, some members of the Latino community were hurt in the way that film maybe missed the mark in some ways. And so it, it reminded me, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, of all those intricacies, of all those differences. But maybe tell us a little bit about like what you noticed when the debate came out after that film. Like, What are some of the things that that discussion elevated in terms of like some of the issues within our community? We have, as a community, really barely started to confront our history of racism slavery, indigenous genocide, you know, the, the colorism that we have in our community is so profound and so deeply rooted. Um, it's, it's frustrating. And I think it's interesting because, you know, just for, for your listeners, we can share, we went on a walk about, we decided to go on a hike, um, a few weeks ago, uh, masked and socially distanced. And we, um, we, we talked about this a little bit at the time. And I think even then I didn't have the realization that I have now, you know, it's a learning journey. And I recognize that as a, a white Latina, that, you know, I have been afforded so many privileges in term that, that, that I know our brothers and sisters that are darker skinned have not been. And media is one of the places where I think it is so present. What is, you know, particularly unfortunate about that is that was supposed to be, and still is, you know, a moment um, a, 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 you know, this monumental achievement of content about Latinos, a fully Latino story and diverse in that the Cuban flag. I mean, the whole Cuban storyline represented along with oh, the yes, Puerto Rican. Oh, yes, that was a beautiful another, moment. So yes. beautiful. And this moment that was monumental, written, uh, you know, by a Latino, the, uh, a Latina screenwriter, adapted it, uh, cast, crew, you know, um, extras. It was a moment interrupted in that there was not a lot of attention or visibility of, you know, the range of skin color we have within our community. Colorism has plagued our community for such a long time. And one of the things I'm noticing as I'm looking at, you know, some of the new things we're doing at Nielsen is we've always evaluated audience, right? Who's watching content, uh, how Latinos are behaving as a monolith, which we're breaking all of that down at Nielsen. But as we're looking more closely and we're looking at content and attributes of content, one of the things that I saw, you know, very clearly was that Afro-Latinx representation and content, with the exception of the one or two shows that you can think of that I can probably think of, too, it's nearly invisible. And so it was, I think, very painful for our community as, um, you know, there's been this awakening in America around visibility and around, you know, diverse communities and diverse identity groups that this one and this easy opportunity I think was perhaps overlooked. I also acknowledge, we have to acknowledge at the time, perhaps that this was developed. It was, you know, a, a bit before this awakening, but I have, you know, faith in our community and our content developers that this is a lesson learned and moving forward representation will only you know, increase. Right. We need, we need more opportunities to get it both right and wrong. Right. So, and that, and that's really the bottom line. And you know that you've been observing some really interesting things in terms of content development, right? So, so tell me what is, what is Nielsen seeing in terms of content and what Latinos are, are being drawn to and where there's gaps and where we can do better. Yeah. And one, you know, just to, to also put a pin in, in, in the topic about 
representation when there are so few pieces of content that represent our community it, those pieces have an unbelievable amount of pressure to That's get it true. right in right. Every, for every community group for every you know every cultural component we put all those pressure then on all that pressure on the content on the developer like why isn't this representative why doesn't it but the truth is if there was more content being greenlit if there was more content in the media ecosystem every single piece wouldn't be under such scrutiny to hit every single mark. And that is so true. That is that is such a, a privilege that the stories that do get told, there's not always, if they get something wrong, if like, let's say the flight attendant gets something wrong, there aren't 25 think pieces about it. Mm-hmm. But, when, but when our one or two projects get done, there's 25 think pieces about it. So I think that's a perfect kind of an illustration of like the privilege and why we need more of our stories told. Even if we get it right, get it wrong. But if you're right, well, let's spread out the pressure. And to your point, so as we're looking more closely then, and, and this is highlights exactly the question you asked, right? When I'm looking at content that's in the ecosystem today, you know, we know that uh, representation in 2020, representation of Latinos cast in content on screen and broadcast television and cable uh, and streaming was about 6%. Now, we know our community is just under 20%. Now we're at 19%, 19.4. But to see that only 6% of all of the leading actors and actresses in the top content uh, are, are Latino, I mean, there's a, a massive gap. And then when we took a look at that 6% and I said, okay, let's look at the genres. Like where, where is this content distributed? Like, you know, what are, what are the different genres? What are the content attributes? Like what are, what's thematically, what is that? When we have that 6% representation thematically, what are those stories about? As you can imagine, it's funny because it seems like such an old storyline. Like, oh, we're presented as, you know, this way and that way. It almost feels like it's a, it's a storyline from the eighties, but it's still so true it's today. It's the same, right? We could be having this discussion oh 20 years ago and it would be the same. But it's like, I can't believe we're still, so when we looked at this thematic attribute distribution, uh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> when we looked at the the, uh, the the distribution of what that six percent looked like, it was really concentrated, of course, in crime and in you know there was some great stuff in action adventure. But um, thematically speaking, like when Latinas are presented on screen, uh, compared, and I'll tell you what white women presentation looks like. But when Latinas are presented, uh, casting content and they're on screen, generally what we see is um, dysfunction family issues. These are the themes that are attributed to that content where Latinas are most present. Um, so I said family family issues, uh, crime. But when you look at the same presentation for when white women, white non-Hispanic women are on screen, the themes are family, homes, country dinners. I could have written this same article in 1987. You know, I was surprised. that, And so that's not to say we haven't seen tremendous growth. We have. And in fact, um, YouTube and and streaming not only is leading the way at bringing more um, you know rich and representative content, but I would say really responsible for sort of pollinizing you know that beautiful content in in with the rest of America with non Latinos around who Latinos can be you know and 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 being cast as such there's a wonderful piece of content that i'm i'm super in love with right now i'm like dying to uh, it's called high town i think i've oh, talked to you about it before if you haven't I seen have to it check this so out. the the lead actress is latina and she also plays a latina but she plays she plays um a lesbian latina in the show and it's such a beautiful intersection 
of representation. She's also in the in the community, LGBTQ plus community as well. But what's beautiful is the story isn't centered around that. Yeah, it's a part of the story. It's it's who she is. But the story is centered around her, um, you know, in her quest to sort of you know challenge her her demons, overcome them, but also like solve for this really human issue that she's trying to you know they're trying to solve for this murder. And um, it's I feel like that kind of content which. If anyone hasn't seen it, I recommend it. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but yes, it's so yes. good. <laughs> yes, um, definitely. It, it's just such a great presentation of what intersectionality should be. And I feel like you asked me more about what Nielsen's doing. Of course, we're looking at representation within content. We're looking at thematic attributes, but we're also really zeroing in on intersectionality. That is where we need to be. That is where um, America is going. That's what viewers, that's what audiences want to see. And so what we want to do is support content developers, producers, and others who want to create that content. They want to make that content. The content's out there. It's just not necessarily yeah. being greenlit. I mean, greenlit. it's also the way we live. Like, we live intersectional lives. We're not just one-dimensional people. And so it's really um, inspiring and hope. it makes me hopeful that that's what we want to see more of, right? We want to see that those intersections. We know that you're not just Latina and that's it. You know, you're, you're Latina and you still have issues as a woman. You might still have issues because you're gay. You might have some you know, issues because you're an immigrant. We live such intersectional lives. And um, it's hopeful for me to hear that that's what's resonating with the folks and that, that we want, hopefully we'll be seeing more of that. What are some ways that we can support that? Well, so this is what Nielsen is focused on now, because we know the content's being written, but it's not making its way. So what can Nielsen do? Uh, one of the things, well, what people can do, audiences can do is watch the content, period. Watch it, find it, watch it, love it. What we're, we can do is, of course, report on the viewability of that content, but we also recognize that for studios and, and others, what they really need to see is the metrics around not just the consumption of that content, but the value of those attributes. And when we resource, meaning the value of those attributes within content, right? What are the levers within content that make it so good, that make people want to watch it, that make it viewable? And if we can help uncover that and bring that back to studios and to others who are greenlighting that content, and show them with numbers like, yes, do we all know intersectionalities here? Of course we do. Do we know that, you know, representative, authentic content is awesome? Of course we know that that's not a, it's not a huge industry secret, but putting metrics behind that data and showing, you know, as it's still a business, right? How do we, how does this make money? So that's what we're focused on doing. Um, inclusion analytics is something new that we're working on and essentially what it means is we're breaking apart a piece of content to understand all of those, you know, uh, diverse and inclusive and and culturally relevant pieces, um, attributes within content, uh, not only who's cast on screen, but also through, you know, understanding thematically what's happening and then tying those to what people want to watch and what they do watch and then elevating that. So we think that will help. But the truth is, and you know this too, Brenda, you know, you're a diverse creator. It's like d diverse creators need to be better resourced on the front end. They, you need, you have all the great ideas, but where the green lighting stops. So it's, is, you know, it's very clear and specific. And so data will help, but also having more representation in, in among these decision makers, nine out of 10 of these decision makers for content are not Latino. They're non-Hispanic white. And so it's hard, I think, um, you know, 
necessarily a good story is a good story is a good story, but it's hard to see the value in the story if you don't have a lived experience or you don't have a broad understanding. Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh, and I and I think you know anyone listening here that's a creative they are they're they very much are familiar with that roadblock, and we need more and more people. But are you feeling hopeful here on Damanindo? We've talked to Tanya Saracho, for example. So we've seen. A little bit of change. I don't know if you're, uh, if Nielsen is measuring this, but just in maybe in your own anecdotally, are we seeing progress in that front? Totally. Like, uh, the decision so, makers. I gave you a number earlier that represents. So let's talk just just about casting. Representation on screen in 2020 uh, was six percent for Latinos on screen, and again, that's the monolith. We can break that down. We can break that down. And actually, I did bring some numbers with me for Afro Latinx, uh, LGBTQ, um, you know, Latinos. I, I, we can break it down and look specifically. Um, but overall, if we're going to bucket it for this conversation, it was 6% last year. First quarter of this year, it's already above 10%. Oh, yeah. For casting I'm going to track up for this. So. <laughs> it's all about the numbers. You got to measure it. And so we, it, it, is, it is changing. Um, it, and, and that's even thinking a lot of that content was developed last year when we were under such, you know, strict um rules around getting together and developing right. content. So, so much it, challenge. It, it, there is a lot. And the other thing that's really driving it again is, uh, is, is, you know, streaming and other content that's not necessarily mainstream. Most of the representation we see is in streaming. And so really kudos to a lot of, you know, to, to Netflix and to a lot of these, you know, streaming providers who are the ones that are bringing those stories um, to America's eyes, to America's living room. That's awesome. Well, that's something hopeful. What are you seeing in terms of news consumption? What are they focusing on right now? We're in the middle of the year. We're mm-hmm. past an election. So like, what are what is news consumption looking like? So, so I, it's, I'm so glad you asked me that. I actually, and I don't think we prepared this part, but I will tell you, I, I just looked at, uh, at a bunch of different data around mis- and disinformation. I am very, very concerned, not just around vaccines in general, about mis- and disinformation specifically in language. So in Spanish language content, um, thankfully for those that are online, my, my super, super favorite right now is Dr. Mauricio. If you're not familiar with Dr. Mauricio Gonzalez, please find him on Instagram. You will be delighted by his content, which is all about his specifically is about health and wellness. And I, I just, I love his content so much, but I feel like more in language content, like he is delivering that is really truth and center Uh, seated is so important when it comes specifically to news. We know that Latinos are consuming most of our content through social. That's why having valid social voices that are, you know, uh, that are, are really centered in truth is really important. Um, Specifically, I'll tell you one thing that was really interesting to me um, as we were watching the uprisings that took place uh, earlier in July around um, the Cuban community and around what was happening in Cuba that generally we looked at all news consumption overall and all news for all people went down a little bit after the 4th of July. People just consumed less news as per usual, um, but not Cubans. We actually were able to isolate Cubans in Miami and in Los Angeles. So very far from sort of where the heart of a lot of the, the um, peaceful protests in support of the Cuban people were taking place. We saw that news uh, in, for example, in my, in Los Angeles, news consumption among Cubans went up 17%. And whereas in Miami news, um, I'm sorry, uh, nationally where news was flat or went down from July 7th, we saw that for the Latino community that is Cuban news consumption went up. So this was really interesting, not just among Cubans, but among all Hispanics to get a better understanding of what's happening in this corner of our community. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see. Um, well, and, and maybe for folks that may not be as familiar, what's going on that, um, uh, 
got the community fired up and they're, they're having them out in the streets. What is it? SOS Cuba. Tell us a, just okay. a snapshot. As we all know, for 62 years, Cuba has been under a, um, an incredibly oppressive regime. My family uh, left Cuba um, uh, in the in the I guess it would be early 60s, late 50s. And um, the stories that uh, I have from you know my family are are, of course, painful and tragic. But the truth is. Again, we talk about privilege, right? I mean, this we're we we are privileged to have had. It, it wasn't easy, and everybody just couldn't go. You had to have resources. You had to have money to be able to leave. So, really, those that were able to leave already were, you know, sort of a, a group of people that had privilege, resource, and access. So, I I think it's interesting. Um, uh, you know, we, we need to be very fair and real about that. So, my family w- was able to leave, but um. For, so for many years, uh, you know, what was originally a promise of socialism, and, and I, I, I don't need to go all the history here, but originally a promise of health care for all, education for all, has um, crumbled into far less than that and has resulted in uh, incredible, incredible, uh, you know, dictatorial oppression for the community. We'll leave it at that. And that's, I've, I visited Cuba uh, just a few years ago and with my own eyes witnessed quickly when I got there too, that I think what I had in my head and what the reality was were two entirely different things. And I remember coming home from that trip. I did take my kids with me. We saw our family, but I remember coming home and people asking me, how was it? Was it beautiful? Was it like what I see on Instagram? And I remember very specifically my response being, no, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a vacation. You know, people said, how was your vacation? I said, it was not a vacation. It was, it was sort of like, um, like a mission. It was like a, a finding journey, but I don't think I knew that until I got there. And that was my own experience a long time ago. So anyway, um, what has unfolded is as in many, as in many uprising, it is the Afro-Cubans, the black community, again, leading, leading the way for justice, you know, social justice and and visibility and not just the black community in Cuba, the black artist community. Right. And so there there is a lot behind it. You can Google Patria y Vida to learn a little bit more, not only about the song, but sort of about the movement, um, Movimiento San Isidro. There's a lot you can learn about. But the community for the first time in ever, you know, or it, significantly this happened before, but not this significantly came to the streets in Cuba demanding um, for health care, for, uh, you know, of course, Cuba, uh, COVID is taking a terrible t- toll there, but water, food, this really, it's really crumbled. And as that happened and news started making its way, the U.S. Cuban community uh, found the opportunity to raise our voices in support of, you know, our brothers and sisters at home, quite literally our brothers and sisters at home. And so that is the movement. And what was interesting is that it wasn't just central to Cubans in Miami, but it was rather, you know, Latinos in general um, found um, that this story was a story that they wanted to learn more about and, you know, and support. Yeah. Well, that's so that definitely puts a, it helps under, make sense of the news, right? The, the reason why Cubans, you could zero in on the Cuban consumption. Well, thank you so much. It's always so fascinating just to learn the numbers and the trends and the progress that we're making and the distance we still have to go. But to close out our conversation, you know, we always do our rapid fire fun questions. Um, and it's always a treat to have you. So we'll start with the good news, <laughs> the matraca. Okay. So what are you celebrating? What are you giving a shout out? What is um, just something that you want to give your matraca to? So two, one is the increase in representation of Latinos in content. Yes. Uh, super happy to have seen that. And the second, I would say the increase in visibility of Cuba and the issues around Cuban people. Yeah, definitely. 
Great, great, great. Celebration to those. Now, what are you canceling? What goes in la basura? What are you over? <laughs> um, I am over. And I, I want to give grace to those who who um, have been on a journey that maybe was a little bit slower. I give absolute grace and understanding, but I am so over vaccine hesitancy. I'm so over it as a mother of two kids who I want in school um, as a daughter of, you know, two amazing parents who I want to be well um, as a sister. We are trying to, you know, we are trying to improve outcomes. Please go get your vaccine. Please learn. Go listen to Dr. Mauricio. He'll tell you all about it. Um, it's safe. It's effective in, in preventing severe illness. So that's what I'm canceling. I'm, I'm, I, and again, I'm doing that, giving grace to those who need it. I know some people are, are undergoing other treatments and they can't potentially do it now. Um, but those who can, please help us out. Yeah, get your vaccine. And what we're canceling is the misinformation around the vaccine. And then actually, we can't deny that it's been heavy, especially as a mother. You know, it's been a heavy time uh, with, with this pandemic and, this, and everything that's going on around us. How do you stay connected to your soul, really? <laughs> How do you get your calma? So um, there's a couple of ways. Um, I think uh, sometimes I step out by just listening to podcasts, actually. And I just step out. I put my earphones on at night so I don't my partner and I just listen and it's, uh, you know, it really allows me to kind of step away from, from everything. But perhaps the most important thing I've been doing is learning how to, or, or, or practicing. Um, and I don't want to say just saying no, because I feel like that's so final, but saying yes. Yeah. And, and that allows me to make some space for my kids. You know, when, when I have a, an, you know, an, an urgent call I have to take with, you know, for a contract we're working on or something, I can't always do it at 5 p.m. I have I have dinner, I have two kids, and they need my time too. So I can say, yes, I can take that call, but not yet. I might have to do it, you know, at another time or if or whatever the ask is in my life. Um, it's very hard. I think we all can say like, we have to learn how to say no, but that feels very sometimes dramatic. And it's it's very hard, we know, to say no, especially for Latinas. Oh my God, we don't say no to anything. But what we can say is yes, but not yet. I think that's such a wonderful way to put it. And um, excellent. That's a, a really great takeaway. And I think a lesson for all of us. Um, is there any anything else that you'd like us to touch upon? We got to get a snapshot of the Latino community. We know what how we need to support cr content creators. We know that streaming is really driving and uh, and helping us foster that creativity, intersectionality. That's what resonates with us. Anything else that we'd like to let the community know? You know, one thing I, we have to do it on another, another, another podcast, another time, another episode, but I'd love to really explore colorism more deeply, uh, not only in content, but within our communities, the history of blanqueamiento. I mean, there's so much to uncover there that is influencing the way we feel in our own communities today about one another, about how content is produced. Um, but for this, the, the future is bright. Representation is increasing not only on screen, but also behind the camera and in under the uh, below the line talent. So there'll be a lot more to report soon. Excellent. Thank you so much, Stacey. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Are you in search for an accountant and financial advisor who understands you? Do you have a small business, a side hustle, or not sure how to make your resources and ideas work for you? Meet Maluli Consulting, Inc., a firm founded to help marginalized folks build generational and community knowledge and wealth. The folks at Maluli are queer, first-generation people of color on a mission to reduce the disproportionate wealth gap. 
Financial knowledge should be accessible to everyone, and this is why Maluli Consulting provides sliding scale fees and services in Espanol. They provide business consultations, tax preparation, financial planning, portfolio management, tax projections, bookkeeping, incorporations, and much, much more. Schedule your consultation with them at maluliconsulting.com. That's M-A-L-U-L-I. C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com and follow them on Instagram at Maluli underscore consulting. You'll be the first to know of free workshops and seminars. That's Maluli Consulting. Dare to change your relationship with money. Prepare to be understood. Oh my gosh, we always learn so much with Stacy and with Nielsen. It's so much fun. She actually makes data fun. Yeah, and that's hard to do. And while we are making so much progress in how our stories are being told, we definitely have to support our Latinx creatives out there. Yeah, exactly. Like people like us. <laughs> well, there's so much to unpack when we talk about the Latinx community. I mean, we we only touched a little bit. I mean, Stacy and I could probably have talked for another five hours because there's just so much to talk about when it comes to our community. But time flies. But, you know, there's one thing that does unite all our people, and that is dichos. I think that's something that, that a, a lot of communities, no matter what country of origin you come from, You've heard a dicho, an expression from your family coming down and uh, giving you a life lesson. Mm -hmm. So we actually asked a couple of our listeners. This is Anna Shayla's idea, by the way. Great idea, Anna <laughs> Shayla, to ask our listeners for like, what are their favorite dichos? So we heard from some listeners. And right now we want to dive into some of these dichos, visit them, see if there are life lessons that we could learn from. So first we have journalist Maria Hinojosa, of course, somebody we absolutely love and her favorite dicho and motto she says this is her life motto y'all she says no hay mal que por bien no venga what do you think about that Anishaya? okay i've heard this a lot of times and i'm trying to figure out what it means i can help you okay, okay. it means that anytime there's bad news there's always good news no hay mal que por bien no venga que like no matter what happens no matter what hardship algo bueno you learn a lesson you overcome something difficult this is a fantastic dicho because it really, I mean, there's so many hardships. And if we really spiral and concentrate on just the negatives, mm. it's a, it could be very difficult. But there's always a gift with even the hardest news. There's always a lesson to be learned. That's what that means. Okay. What do yeah. you think of that? It's muy cute. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's obviously a, a glass half full uh, expression, I feel like, right? 100%. One I mean, I think it can definitely help you when you're working through really tough moments, right? To have like, what, how can I get through this? Is there anything that I can take from here that allows me to move forward? And that can be really important when you're feeling like there isn't. Exactly. We need this. We need this lesson at this time, especially. Okay. So here's another expression. This is from Amigis of the Pod, Alma, Alma Lopez of Alma Explorers, who, by the way, if you ever want to get your trip plan, hit up Alma Explores on Instagram. So she says, lo barato cuesta caro. Okay, okay. okay. What's your so interpretation I, of that? You got this one? I think so. And I think I have a perfect example. <laughs> and let me know if, if you think, if this, if I got it. Okay, so okay. I'm living in Mexico, right? And appliances are kind of expensive here. Um, there is one brand that isn't very expensive. So I got... Um, a uh, blender. The Tianguis. <laughs> I, I bought a blend. I bought a blender, 
and it was the cheapest blender. And I'm like, it's fine. Like, all we need to do is, is blend. And maybe like a month later, it broke down. Like it's, umo, there was umo coming out from the, from the oh, blender. No. <laughs> so, so is that an example of barato cuesta caro? Like you basically are paying like double because you didn't like. Well, yeah, because now you had to replace it, right? right? Now you had to replace it. Yeah, 100%. And look, uh, Alma, let me tell you, she is a classy lady. She's got some name brand items. She looks good. She goes to great restaurants and she lives life. And I'm going to tar- start to borrow this expression because it is true. I I, I've, um, I remember being young and being really intimidated about going into Nordstrom's. I thought it was not for me. And now that I'm an adult, I have my own money. It is the number one place that I shop because it's where I get quality customer service. I get quality products. Mm. So sometimes, you know, it's true. It's worth it sometimes to invest a little bit more and get that thing that that is of quality and that's going to last you instead of having to replace my, you know, 25 Forever 21 outfits that I used to buy when I was younger. <laughs> I still, girl, so I, still, great tip. I still go to Forever 21 sometimes. Forever, Forever 21. What is this? Se C, Brenda. <laughs> I think I need a forever 31. (laughs) Okay, so now uh, next one we have here. And this one is so timely as well. This one sort of aligns with uh, who went in la basura earlier today with Stacy. So this expression is this. And um, it says, el que no oye consejo no llega a viejo. So you got this one? Okay, yeah. Like if if you don't pay attention to good sound advice from trusted resources, then you won't get to be old. <laughs> right. Cause you could jeopardize your health. So do not be listening to consejos from folks that might tell you to, you know, have hurt or is it horse, horse dewormer or whatever. <laughs> Listen to the expert or whatever the hell that is. <laughs> Who knows? Don't do that. Do what the experts say. <laughs> do what the experts say, please. Um, okay. We got one more. Uh, let's see here. So we got from from a, another of our amigas, Yesenia. She says, el, el que mucho abarca, poco aprieta. Okay. I've, so this one, you I've, got this one here. Well, I, can, I can break it down for yeah, you. Yeah, break it down for me because I've heard this one often, but I also don't know exactly what it, what it means. I think <laughs> this is one that you and I especially need to listen to. I think uh, we, can, we tend to be very um, ambitious and we want to do so much, right? We want to do a lot. But sometimes if you spread yourself thin and you want to do mucho abarcas, poco aprietas, there's few things that you actually get correct oh, okay. and you actually do well. So it's we encourage everybody to be ambitious and it's great, but also sometimes refining what it is that you're going to focus on has its benefits as well porque vas a apretar and you're going to get good at it. So that's what that lesson is about. Okay, yeah. mucho abarca, poco aprieta. That's what I guess. So what do you think of it now? Yeah, no, I think that's that's excellent advice. And it really comes back to like prioritizing that combination of like your time, effort, and what you're getting back for your effort. <laughs> and like being smart exactly. about it. Exactly. Yeah. See, sí, mira, life lessons. So do you have an, <laughs> a, fa- a favorite expression or expression that comes to mind that we could... Jump into. I know I have my favorite one, but what what do you have any? You know, I know you have me vale. Me vale, me vale. is what you said is one of your expressions. But. Yeah, no, that's that's one that I'm trying to embody, and it's hard for me. But that's how I sort of channel my dad's spirit because he was very much me vale and like stop stop being miedosa basically. But um, 
let's see. My mom always says el hubiera no existe. <laughs> um, oh, that's a good one. That's such a good one. And that one's really good for me because I used to dwell a lot on like what I didn't do. And especially as you get older, I feel like that lesson is really important because you're never going to change what didn't happen or what you didn't do. And the more that you spend time thinking about those things, the more that you're not making the most of your present and therefore the most of what could happen in the future. So that's my dicho. <laughs> that is such a good one. El hubiera no existe. You know, the what ifs don't exist. That is such a good one. Yeah. My favorite expression is, uh, es mejor pedir perdón que pedir permiso, which basically means don't ask for permission, just fucking do it. And if you stumble along the way, then you can ask for forgiveness, but just do it. Yeah. <laughs> there's something That's you want to do, one. get out of your own way, get out of your own way and just do it. So these are so fun. You know, these are so helpful expressions. And we had some good ones. So if listeners, if you're listening and you've got like, I'm sure there's so many more to add to this list of expressions. Hit us up. You know where to reach us at contact at tamarindopodcast.com. We'd love to hear some expressions. So Ana Sheila, I know it's early in the morning for you. So how so far have you received your calma? Um, my cafecito today. You know, I, I woke up, I went to bed a little late last night because we had a little drinkies. Y, um, hey, it's Thursday. <laughs> El cuerpo lo sabe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I woke up late today. I didn't make it to my morning workout class, which I was bummed about. But um, I still made sure that I made enough time to make some coffee before our recording. So that is giving me, keep giving me calma. How about you? Oh, no wonder you, no wonder you're not super rushed to this recording. <laughs> you didn't make the workout. You had time to have a little coffee. I didn't make the workout. <laughs> well, I'm giving myself grace for that. No, you do it because, you know, if you have fun on a Thursday night, it's the last thing you want to do is get up super early, especially when you have to do something like have this deep conversation with me about dichos. Like, girl, I get it. Your body needs that rest. And that is 100 percent fine. I will tell you what that. What about you at six in the morning? <laughs> uh, I took a shower, which is a miracle. Like I thought like, oh, I can just, I had set my alarm for right like 10 minutes before we have this record session, but I actually got up an hour early naturally. And I decided I'm going to just take a shower so that I'm refreshed and ready for this, for this conversation. And it has worked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, Ana Sheila, this has been a really fun conversation with Stacy. You all got to check out Nielsen. They always always have such fantastic information, not just about our our community, but just so much great data. And we're we're big data nerds here on Tamarindo. And also, we want to remind you to schedule your consultation with maluliconsulting.com. That's M-A-L-U-L-I consulting.com. Check them out. Follow them on Instagram, maluli underscore consulting. And uh, until the next one, I'm going to tell you, pon tu suéter. Y te calmas o te calmo. Bye, y'all. Ciao, everybody. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend. Por write us a review. <laughs> we love your love notes, por favor. And thank you for sending it in other ways. But the place that it really matters is on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Ciao. Bye, y'all. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Ana Sheila Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music and Michelle Andrade edits the show. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Thank you.
Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI FPEI 220099.